And as I said earlier, I am indeed thankful to you that you allowed Debbie and I an extended time away just to be encouraged by the Lord. And I promise you it was that for us. It was a fresh time of encouragement. That said, I recognized it required uh, from our ministry team a, a much higher level of responsibility. And I'm indebted to David White and Stuart Kuntz and Rick Browning and Caleb Carmichael and Victoria Alanese, our office staff, and a number of the special guests that we brought to minister to you in my absence. I'm thankful to our deacons, John Eck, as I think was over there to my right. Uh, they uh, committed themselves to even step further in a way to, to minister in my absence, and I'm indebted to them. And uh, even one of our life groups was very kind and thoughtful. They wrote cards of support and Bible verses that Davy and I were able to read and reflect upon over the span of the sabbatical. So there's so much for which we are thankful. And so once more, please hear me say thank you for the opportunity that you afforded us. But in the midst of my time away, God placed a series of lessons uh, that I'm convinced he wanted us to consider as a congregation. I've, I've entitled the series, Rescue, Jesus' Power to Restore My Life. Now, I'm wondering, as you've gathered this Sunday, is there anybody here that would be honest enough to say, I, I need to be rescued this morning? Maybe you're hesitant to go that far. Is it conceivable, though, that you would admit you need to be restored? And you need to know that Jesus has the power to do that. He came and did all that he did so that he might restore us, restore anyone, which thankfully that includes me. He desires to restore my life. And over the next six weeks, I want us to focus in on a primary passage. Now, we'll look at other passages as the weeks go along, but there's one central passage that I want us to look at and consider, at least in a brief way, each of the next six weeks. The passage itself is found in the fourth gospel we have in the New Testament, the Gospel of John. And it it's highlighted in chapter 10, it'll be verses 1 through 11. Now, if you want to find that in your Bible or your phone or whatever means you have to read from the Bible, I invite you to do that. Just to give us a little perspective about what we're going to read. Again, this is the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' earliest disciples. There are a lot of people that think, scholars believe, that John became one of Jesus' followers when he was maybe 18 or 19 years old. Just consider that. And he was an eyewitness to all of the things that Jesus taught, all of the things that Jesus did. And he then spent a lifetime reflecting on that. I'm convinced this particular gospel, John records, maybe 60 years after he witnessed all these things. Now, don't think that he lost perspective. No, he spent his entire life reliving, rethinking, reflecting upon all that he encountered. And then, through the gift of God's Spirit, he was able to visualize it in a way that would bless us. And so he writes his gospel, 
to give you that eyewitness understanding. But what's beautiful about his particular gospel is he, in a very deliberate way, tries to introduce instances where Jesus himself reveals his identity in a way that we might understand and then discover the difference that Jesus can make. That's the Gospel of John. One of those instances is in the 10th chapter. I want you to listen to what Jesus describes as John records it for us because it, as I mentioned, it, it will be the focus of what we'll be thinking about for the weeks to come. I'm going to begin the reading with verse 1, if you want to follow along. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, this morning, I'm just curious, do we have anyone here today that's raising some sheep on the side? Do we? I, I assume not. Do you even know someone that is raising sheep? Probably not. And the reason I raise these questions is because as Jesus is trying to reveal something to us, he uses as an example something that we might not readily identify with, something that we have not experienced in a way that we say, oh, that's what he's saying. For example, in Jesus' day, did you know that there were two types of sheep folds or sheep pens? Now, one type of sheep fold or pen was found near the town or village in which the shepherds lived. And so on occasion, what they would do is they would herd all of their sheep into this community pen. Now, it would be rather large. And in this pen, there would be a central door and the community or the town or village would hire someone to guard the collection of sheep. Now, this gatekeeper or guard knew who owned the sheep and only would allow the owner or the shepherd to be able to enter in to draw their sheep out. It was a community sheep pen. Now, again, though you don't have sheep, some of you have dogs, just imagine, again, a, a, a public dog park, <laughs> with the guard positioned to only allow the owners of the dogs in to be able to lead them out. That's one type of sheep pen. Another type of sheep pen, however, was more rural in location. As the owner or the shepherd would lead his flock out of the town, he would take them to places where they could graze. And near the pasture, you would find a much smaller sheep pen, as represented by the picture on the screen. 
Some of them would be circular or square in shape. They would be small enough to basically provide security for one shepherd's flock. The thing that you should note about this type of sheep pen, it would be the shepherd's responsibility to guard the sheep, to secure the sheep, to oversee the sheep. Two types of sheepfolds are sheep pens. Now, as I read the passage to you a moment ago, which sheep fold or pen is he referring to? We'll go back to the text, and I think you'll see the answer is rather straightforward. Verse 1 again reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold or pen by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief, a, a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. There's your answer. Jesus as he's describing this scene, initially is describing the community sheepfold, where all of the various shepherds, sheep owners, have brought their sheep into one central pen, and there is at the entry a guard, a gatekeeper, that will only allow the appropriate person to enter. See, now thieves might try to climb the wall, but the guard would assure only the shepherd has access. So Jesus, as he's describing this, everybody he's speaking to, they know this because they've been surrounded by sheep all their lives. They know how it works. And so he says, okay, now the shepherd comes, returning to the text, and he, uh, the gatekeeper opens it to him. Listen to what is added. The sheep, notice, hear the shepherd's voice and calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. He doesn't lead other shepherds' sheep out. He knows his own and calls out to his own, and they follow him out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. I like that language because, again, we've been, I've been raised in Texas where cattle is what we raise. And if you know anything about raising cattle, and I be, did become familiar with that when we lived in Dalhart, one of the areas of the state where people readily raise cattle, you know that when you're dealing with cattle, you drive them from behind. That's not what is the case with the shepherd in Jesus' day. He didn't drive them from behind. The shepherd would lead them physically before them. He would call out to them. They're hearing his voice and they're following him. Why? For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Again, notice the emphasis on the voice. The shepherd leads primarily by his voice. Verse 6, the figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Maybe you'll agree with me. I'm comforted by that. Have you ever read something in the Bible and you scratched your head? You say, I'm not sure what's, what's going on there. Or maybe you've heard the Bible read or even from the pulpit, somebody has shared a message to you and at least on the front end, you're saying, I'm not really sure I'm understanding that. Well, take heart. Jesus is the one teaching this crowd and he uses this illustration, one that they should have understood, but for whatever reason, they didn't. And so Jesus 
thankfully, is willing to continue to help them along. And I think that's what Jesus does with us. I think when we hear something or read something, we just need to give it some time. Maybe we need to read a little bit more so that slowly we begin to grasp what he's trying to teach us. But let's just step back from what we've read. What was the basic lesson Jesus was trying to help them to see? As I've reflected on it, to me, it's as if, in a simple way, Jesus is saying to his hearers, now, you are a flock of sheep who needs a shepherd to care for them. You're just a bunch of sheep. I know my dad, as he concluded my time away, he emphasized the pastor's role as a shepherd and referred to the congregation as the pastor's flock. Uh, I'm very much an under-shepherd beneath the supreme shepherd who is Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus who describes those who would relate to him as a bunch of sheep. More than one of you probably would say, I would prefer not to be a sheep. I think I would like to be a lion if I'm going to be something, or a lumbering elephant. I don't know what you would want. But see, Jesus singles them out as sheep with purpose. Because he knows that sheep, by their very nature, are dependent creatures. I read one writer who went as far as to say, you want to, uh, an evidence against the theory of evolution, just study sheep. They could not survive if it was the survival of the fittest. It's not within their nature to survive apart from the help of another. Jesus recognized that that's true, and so what does he say or try to say? You need to see yourself as a flock of sheep, as a sheep that needs the help of a shepherd. And thankfully, Jesus in the same passage is saying, and I want to be that shepherd. I am that shepherd. And you need to hear my voice. You need to follow my lead. Now, Jesus tried to introduce these lessons. They didn't get it. And so he came at it a second time. Listen to what he says in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I, and Jesus is being emphatic, am the door. If anyone enters by me, he, she, that person, will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Before I read the next verse, focus in on that word saved for a quick moment. That's a a vitally important term. Jesus is saying, now as you relate to me appropriately, what I want to do is save you. Now how many of you speak more than one language? <coughs> Go ahead, show your hands. I want to I applaud you. I'm impressed by you. I've tried repeatedly to learn Spanish unsuccessfully. My uh, sister-in-law, Robin, she's learned French fluently and is now in the process of learning German. I, now, I have come to learn to understand Greek in a way that's helpful, but, I mean, multiple languages isn't something that I naturally do. Well, you need to know John was fluent in Greek. That was the language of the day, like English has kind of become the global language of our day. And John wrote this book, his gospel, in the language 
that was that language, Greek, so that he could highlight things that most of the people could understand. And when he emphasizes that Jesus came to save, he used a particular word. It's the word sozo, which actually emphasizes one who comes to the rescue of another. That's why I've chosen to use the term rescue instead of save, because what we typically do when we think about the word save is we think about escaping hell. You need to know Jesus came to do more than that. He came to rescue you. And on Jesus' heart, what that implies is he came to restore life to you. And the reason I know that that's true, look at how it's worded in the verse. He says, uh, I've if anyone enters by me, he will be rescued, saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. He wants to restore life to you, to me. Now the thief, verse 10, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus says, came that they might have, there it is again, life. And have it abundantly. I, Jesus adds, am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, as you listen to me read, did you notice in five verses, Jesus describes himself in two separate ways, doesn't he? In verse 7, he says, I am the door. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. I mean, why does Jesus describe himself in these distinctive ways. Why are they separate? Well, I would have you to realize he's actually saying the same thing in two different ways. Remember when I talked to you earlier about the sheep pens? Let me bring up another pic picture of a rural sheepfold. Now, I want you to even look at it more up close. What you'll notice in the rural sheepfold is there's an opening. You see that? There is no gate attached to this opening. In Jesus' day, it would have been something very similar to this. And the reason there is no gate is the shepherd himself would assume responsibility to assure what sheep could enter the security of the sheepfold. And then once they're in, he would actually position himself in the midst of the entry, the gap. They would go as far as to sleep there. So that in a practical way, the shepherd becomes the what? door, the gate. So Jesus isn't actually introducing two separate ideas. He's emphasizing the same idea in two different ways. He's saying, I'm the shepherd you need. I am the one who provides entry, life, everything you seek. I'm the shepherd that you need. With that said, go back and, and look at it again from the standpoint of the passage. What does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Envision the sheepfold. He has positioned himself in such a way that he will allow into the security of the fold those that are his. And then at appropriate times, he will then lead them out. He's the door, he says. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. have always been pretenders who offer life that they can't deliver. He says, but that's not them. And my sheep do not listen to them. 
I am the door. He's the key. If anyone, and I love the fact that he speaks so broadly, he's not saying this is going to be limited to a very select few. He wants anyone and everyone to be a member of his flock. If anyone enters by me, he will be, she will be rescued, saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is trying to explain to us that he is what we need. He's our shepherd. A fair question is, okay, then how does the person enter in? How does one become a member of this flock under Jesus' care? Well, remember what Jesus said to the religious man Nicodemus. It's a very a familiar verse, but to me it helps answer that simple question. In John 3.16, what did Jesus say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know he's the shepherd. That whoever believes in him, now there's the phrase. Whoever believes in him, responds to him, should not perish, but have eternal life. And so as Jesus explains it to Nicodemus, what needs to happen is you need to respond to me for who I am, and I will give you life. I would highlight quickly, though, with you, when he says eternal life, you could almost put your thumb over the word eternal and start by emphasizing life. He came to give you life that reaches to eternity. But what Jesus came to do was more than simply provide a place for you in heaven. He wants to restore your life here. He's the shepherd, you see. He wants to lead you in and out of pasture. It's about life. He wants to provide that, but we must respond to him. Verse 17 goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. See, we're already condemned by our sinfulness, our actions, but he came to rescue. But in order that the world might be saved, there's the term again, sozo, rescued, delivered, through Jesus. So when Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's saying, you need to respond to me by faith for who I am. You need to believe in me, trust in me, turn to me. Now what's exciting is as we respond to him in this way, he wants to lead us forward in life like the good shepherd. He wants to restore life. And what's remarkable is he knows every single one of our situations in detail. I'm touched by what was said in verse 3 of John 10 when he says to him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. Notice that. He calls his own sheep how? By name. And leads them out. Be comforted this Sunday morning. Jesus knows your name. And what's implied by that is he knows your situation. And what he desires to do as the shepherd is to lead you in and out. To restore life to you according to your circumstance. Truth be known. Looking out at you we're a wide span of ages, and Jesus is fully aware of every single one of our circumstances and our situation. And take heart, I'm convinced Jesus wants to lead each of us in and out according to his knowledge of us. 
and how he leads us and encourages us and, and guides us actually will be different from person to person. Now, I know there's consistency in terms of what he teaches about the truth, but the level of his care is personalized to you. I mean, those of you that find yourself living a single life today, whether it's by choice or by circumstance, sometimes as a single person, you just feel alone. You feel just, you struggle, you feel life's pressure, and you feel like you have to handle it alone. Well, take heart. Jesus not only knows your name, he knows you. And he wants to lead you in and out according to your circumstance. I mean, earlier we prayed for those who have struggles. Some of you entered into this morning, indeed, you brought with you a heavy struggle. You're facing a physical battle, maybe a medical struggle that is not what you would have chosen at whatever stage of life that you're in. But I want to reassure you, Jesus knows your name, and he wants to lead you in and out in a way that can restore life for you. I mean, some of you entered in this Sunday morning and your heart is broken. I mean, you, maybe you've been betrayed in a relationship or you just have a heaviness of heart because of what's happening relationally around you. Whatever the, what's, whatever's contributed to it, I want you to know, as Jesus would have us to know, he knows your name and he wants to lead you in and out as a shepherd. He wants to restore your life. Now mark this down, and we'll talk about it more in the weeks to come. That doesn't mean that all of your problems and pressures disappear. No, it means that he leads you in the midst of the challenges of life to affect you, to provide for you, to restore your life. You say, come on. He can't really know me. Well, listen to what Jesus says in verses 14 and 15 of that same chapter. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. And he qualifies it. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. Now, you think that through. To what degree was the Father aware of Jesus, his Son? That is what Jesus uses to highlight the degree that Jesus is aware of his flock. Or let's be more specific, is aware of you, of me. He knows our names. He knows our situations. He wants to lead us to the places that will restore life for us. Do be aware, as he's trying to lead you, there are competing voices out there. They're going to try to lead you away from his care. I mean, Jesus said it in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But take heart, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You know, one of the things I realized about myself as I was away, sometimes the competing voices is my own voice. 
midst of life circumstances, whatever they are, good or bad, sometimes it's my voice that's causing me to move away from following the one who wants to restore my life. There are those voices that are going to try to take your attention away from Jesus. But this morning, let's cover our ears to those competing voices and focus our heart on the one who loves us profoundly, Jesus Christ. And allow him to rescue us. Well, let's close. What are we going to do? Well, I would recommend that we respond to Jesus, right? I mean, if he is who he's claiming to be by faith, we respond to him. Which means we need to admit that we are dependent sheep. Now, I thought about finding a sheep that was ugly. This one's just kind of cute. But sometimes we're not. Sometimes we are very ugly. And all the more dependent. And Jesus comes and he says, now you need to respond to me. You need to hear my voice. You need to realize I desire to lead you in and out. I want to restore life for you, but you've got to focus on me. You've got to follow me. You've got to trust in me. Now let's get practical with this. If this is just something that is beginning to appeal to your heart, let me suggest some simple things that you can do into the week ahead. If you picked up one of our connections, uh, I highlight what I'm recommending as our kind of action steps into the week. And you can pick one of these up and just be reminded what we're trying to do. Well, if Jesus is the key, which he is, then why not do this? Let's begin each day this week with a simple prayer, a confession of heart that says, Lord Jesus... Life is in you. Lead the way. Now for this to work, you need to mean the prayer. This, there's nothing magical about the phrases. But if your heart is sincere, where you say genuinely to Jesus, Lord, I respond to you for who you are. Life is in you. Lead the way. That will move you toward the shepherd. But then second, what I'm also suggesting, that starting this week, let's read through a different gospel, the gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew was another one of Jesus' earliest of followers, a young man that followed Jesus who came out of a very broken lifestyle. And Jesus restored him. So we write, it's a gospel for our benefit. And so starting tomorrow, begin to read a chapter a day through the gospel of Matthew. But now read it as one who's saying to Jesus, Lord Jesus, life is in you. Lead me. So read it as a disciple wanting to hear what Jesus would have you to hear. Say, so, well, I'm not sure how that works. I'm not really good at this. Well, let me suggest some questions. And again, it's on the handout that you might utilize that may guide you. One of the things that you may want to ask as you read each chapter now who is Jesus as I'm reading this? Who is he revealing himself to be? And how am I going to respond to him because of that? Who is he? Focus on Jesus. But then second, as you're reading, also ask the question, what is Jesus leading me to do? Because see, that's where the life is found. 
that we come to experience the abundant life as by faith we're actively following the shepherd. And so as I'm reading, I'm asking, Lord, what are you, Jesus, what are you leading me to do here? And as you see what that is, you begin to commit your heart to follow him, right? Now, I would stress, be practical here. Focus in on one thing, not two or three or four every day. Just refocus yourself on one specific way that you're going to follow his lead. Now, one other thing I would throw out as a question is, okay, how... Should I relate to others? What we will realize is the shepherd really cares about how we're relating to the other members of the flock. And if I want to find life in abundance, then I need to pay particular attention to what he says about how I relate to others. That's what Jesus would emphasize. But as we do this, what we've done is we've focused our heart on the one who is life in a way that can change us. Come on, preacher. I've known Jesus for 60 years. I've read the Gospel of Matthew more times than I could ever count. And you're asking me to do this again? Yes, I am, as a dependent sheep. I would remind you, if you study the life of one of God's greatest servants, Moses, in the Old Testament, I would argue he learned his most important lessons after he was the age of 75. So don't you sell out in thinking, oh, I don't have anything else to learn. Yes, you do if you're looking for the shepherd to lead you. So join us in the reading. Let's focus in on the shepherd who is the difference. Would you bow with me in prayer? Maybe as I've shared these things, there's a few of you that would say, I, I don't know that I've ever trusted in Jesus in the way that you're describing. Don't you think you should do that now? Maybe the first cry of your heart needs to be today where you say to Jesus, Jesus, I believe life is in you. I need you. Save me, Jesus. Rescue me, Jesus. If you've never responded to Jesus in that way, right now where you sit, privately, quietly in your mind, cry out to him. Call on Jesus to save you. But many of you would say, I've done that, Pastor. But here's what I would press you to consider this morning. Let's not move into the week like we did last week in a fresh way. Let's commit to follow the shepherd. And as I describe, what that means for this week is every day you're going to confess to Jesus, life is in you, lead the way. And then you're going to begin to read out of the Gospel of Matthew, seeking to hear the shepherd's voice in a way that he would guide you. Now, if this Sunday morning you're willing to say to Jesus, I want that. You're not saying it to me. You're saying it to him. I want that and I mean that. I'm going to ask you to do something physical because it's going to require physical actions into the week ahead. If you, as a believer and follower of Jesus, want to enter into this journey with him in the next seven days, then where you sit with your head still bowed, would you lift your hand? And as you're lifting it, you're saying to him, Lord Jesus, life is in you. I want you to lead. 
Now, if you don't intend to act on that, don't lift your hand. I don't want to put you in a weakened place. But if that's where you are, lift it up and leave it there for a moment and then begin to pray sincerely. Jesus, lead the way. Lead the way. Father, thank you for each person present. Thank you for providing for us Jesus who seeks to restore our lives. Move us forward in faith. For that person who prayed that first prayer, asking to be rescued, I pray now that you would just, in a loving way, just move them forward in your care. But for those that have renewed their commitment to seek the shepherd's voice, Father, may this week be a remarkable week for them. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.